Welcome to episode 110 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the nighttime sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. And Shane, do you know what today is? Well, maybe I should say not today, but uh, tomorrow. But tomorrow is when this will go live. So it will be today for those. Anyway, you know what I mean. It's, it's April 19th for those listening. Do, anyway, do you know what April 19th is? Well, you know, I thought it was actually April 17th because yesterday I was saying to my wife, I think today might be the one year anniversary of the podcast. But I said, I don't know. It's right around here. <laughs> I, I looked it up. And according to according to our podcasting host, the first episode, because yeah. we did four. And then because uh, we decided that we would <laughs> we didn't know if we would do this or not again. And so we decided we, were, we would start recording episodes. We decided we record two or three, and then we just kept recording episodes. And then you were like, we got to start putting these out. <laughs> so we, you know, yeah, putting yeah. out four on the same day. Well, I remember too, like the, the recommendations for starting a podcast was that before you upload anything to Apple or any of the providers, uh, make sure you have like four to six episodes kind of ready to go or, or already posted. Um, uh, otherwise they may not mm -hmm. take you seriously and keep you off their platform. So yeah, we, we kind of yeah. came out with a few all at once. And I remember, you know, it was kind of a weird feeling, like not knowing if anybody would actually listen to these things and, and then just, uh, some slow and then some fast growth, uh, you know, over the last 12 months, it's, it's been fun. It's been a good ride. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's been really cool. And, um, was was looking uh, here just before the show, and we've got around thirty five thousand downloads. I think just over thirty five thousand downloads. Uh, so that, that's pretty good. I I didn't think we'd have thirty five thousand downloads in a year. I thought maybe we'd have like maybe three thousand downloads in a year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you and me good. both. <laughs> yeah, and we're we're getting like four hundred listeners a show now. So that's really cool. So thank you to everybody who's listening. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it really serves as motivation for, for me. And I'm sure you as well, Chris, that, um, yeah. you know, seeing those numbers increase, um, just keeps me wanting to do this. And, you know, the other thing I got to say is, uh, this is like a real selfish thing in terms of benefit for me of doing this podcast is it's definitely amped up the amount of, uh, observing sessions that I do. Um, you know, cause yeah. part of it is I just want to have something to talk about during the show when we record. Um, and it's really yeah. increased my love of the hobby. Um, and then part two to the selfishness is you and I typically do a lot of outreach, uh, throughout the year, you know, whether it's down at the yeah. grasslands or, you know, delivering talks locally, um, we can't really do that anymore, or at least we haven't right because yeah. of uh, the pandemic. So this is just another way to yeah. do a little bit of outreach and connect with other astronomers, which has been a ton of fun. Yeah, and, and I, I agree and, and concur with all that. And, you know, the, the one thing, and this was really unexpected, because, you know, when, when we started doing these, um, at, at least around, around here anyway, I thought that uh, any, of, any of the lockdown and, and work from home stuff would be maybe like a quarter, like maybe three or four months, uh, sort of back to work sometime in the summer, or at the very latest, I thought fall, you know. And of course, now he, here we are um, 16 months later, um, and you know, the, the thing that really surprises me about my own, like sort of mental health and well-being, I work in mental health and well-being, so this shouldn't be a surprise that I'm kind of picking up on this is that, you know, like, like amongst my friends and colleagues and family and everybody, like I find that, um, 
like I don't feel like I've been as confined and I actually mm. think that this podcast has really um, sort of helped with my my own like personal resilience because like mm. instead of just feeling like I'm kind of you know for the most part I don't venture outside of about a you know a two square mile radius but often we're getting emails from somebody in Japan and somebody in Florida and somebody in the UK and somebody you know in California like we're getting um, and then other friends of mine that that are are kind of tuning in and they're like, oh, I know Chris or I know Shane and they're getting in touch. And uh, it kind of really has uh, kept my world pretty big. Actually, my, my world kind of feels larger um, than, than it definitely would have otherwise. Let me tell you that. And, and that's definitely a, a huge, uh, surprising and much appreciated benefit of, of doing this podcast and and having uh, some really interesting and engaged listeners. So so if you're out there and you're listening and you have uh, some astronomy experiences gear book reviews or or just plain old going out and looking at the night sky observing experience yeah write in let us know and we'll share it with other people and and definitely uh other people i think are very interested in hearing about that i sure am yeah 100 percent. it's uh that's a big part of the enjoyment I, i love hearing about other observing and and you know that's that's how you introduce every episode too is you know it's for people who like going out under the stars and I'd much rather talk about yeah. things we've looked at or things we want to look at. Um, you know, that's a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And it was great having uh, Dr. Stella Kafka on last week. And, and uh, you know, I mean, she is a professional astronomer and that's her, her background education and, and her profession. And, and, you know, here, here she is on, on our sort of little podcast talking about measuring variable stars with her binoculars. Um, and I just thought that was so cool. Right. <laughs> you know, I thought that yeah. was really neat. Yeah. yeah so. You know, Chris, uh, just uh, my two favorite episodes that we've done so far are when we had Justin on to talk about 3D printing and then St yeah. uh, Dr. Stella Kafka last week with Variable Stars. And the reason I think yeah. those have been my two favorite is because uh, those hit some areas that I have little to no experience slash knowledge of. So, yeah. you know, those were great episodes for me just to learn. And, uh, I, yeah. and I've learned in a lot of our other episodes along the way too, but uh, those ones really stand out as uh, two of my favorites. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. It, it's kind of sort of, that's a surprising thing for sure, because I kind of thought when, uh, when we're doing this, Shane, I thought it would be a little bit more of like our own self-interest, but kind of sharing what we're in interested in with other people. Uh, but it's actually been that sharing back from other people, um, which honestly that I've gotten the most out of. And then, like you said, when we've had people on that, uh, that are talking about stuff that we have like, no clue about like or very very little you know I've mm -hmm. you've dabbled a bit in the 3d printing and and uh, I can't say that I've done much more than dabble in uh, in variable stars beyond uh, you know just just you know becoming familiar with the you know the half dozen uh, or so ones we mentioned in the podcast so yeah it's cool yeah right on how was your week sir it was good did you get shoveled out uh, I, I got snow blowed out. I, I, I fired Whoa. up the, the snow blower, which I'm not sure if that's like a Canadian term or if that's a, a global term, but, um, so a snow blower is just a, a machine that kind of gobbles up the snow and throws it, you know, a hundred feet away. So you don't have to shovel it. Um, but we got a pretty good dumping and it was wet snow, which means it's heavy. And the way yeah. The way the wind blows sometimes, um, you know, either I have a lot of snow in my front yard or a lot in my back, but usually not both together. Well, it all ended up in my backyard. And I think in this one snowfall that we got last week, 
I ended up with more snow in the backyard just that one time than I accumulated all winter. Um, so, you know, we yeah. are back to looking like it's Christmas outside, although actually most of it's melted now. So that's good. Yeah. Most of it's melted. Yeah. Now fortunately it's taken just about, I, I guess just about a week, you know, it, it started just about a week ago from, from, uh, from now, which was when we were, when we were recording our last podcast that the, the shutters were starting to shake and, and the floors were, <laughs> were coming down. And, uh, but, you know, like you were saying with the snow, like certainly we had areas in our yard that were piled um, as deep or maybe, maybe deeper than they were at the, at the depths of winter. And then uh, we, we looked out the front walk and our front walk um, had, it's not very long. It's maybe 12 or 15 feet at most. And, uh, and the snow had drifted in there really fairly deep. Like it was maybe two and a half or so feet deep. And we're like, Oh, of course it drifted on the walk, you know, and I had various packages coming for astronomy and other things. Right. And oh, I'll have to shovel that. And then sort of later on, we heard this funny noise and, uh, and there were, there had been a huge drift on our, on our roof, like with the, on our front roof that yeah. we could see. And it actually had slid off. And now it was about uh, three and a half feet deep. And it was like, you know, it just looked like an avalanche had come through. I took some photos of it. I don't think I sent it to you, but um, so instead of just being a moderately hard packed drift, it now had about twice the volume of snow on it. <laughs> fun, fun, good. fun. The good thing is nobody decided to go out early to shovel because if that fell on you, it would have like it was a lot of snow. It mm-hmm. would have been bad. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, yeah, good stuff. Well, hopefully that's out, it for. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, hopefully that is it for the snow. Did you get out observing? Uh, yeah, a couple times. Uh, two daytime sessions with the H Alpha telescope, and and one nighttime nice. session without the. H alpha telescope. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the two solar sessions um, were towards the end of the week. Uh, let me think about this. It was Friday and Saturday morning, uh, actually. Uh, so Friday while working from home, I, I set the solar telescope up on the patio and then, um, you know, I, I still try to take a coffee break in the morning, you know, a lunch break, sometimes a coffee break in the afternoon. So I would just pop out, have a quick look Um you know, two really fun sessions again, uh, Saturday morning, actually, I was up quite early, um, uh, with my dog and it was, you know, quite clear out. So I took the solar scope out and I'm kind of glad I did. Cause I think it was by about nine 30, 10 o'clock. Um, it had started yeah, to cloud enough. over and it just wasn't it, it yeah. even the finest amount of cloud up in the sky will really deteriorate a hydrogen alpha session. Um, so it doesn't take much. You, you really need clear skies. So I'm glad I, I was able to squeeze in about a half an hour to an hour. Um, but what I'll say is the sun is really becoming active. Um, you know, just the amount of prominences, uh, some of the degree of the prominences, but you just, I'm seeing so much more surface detail, um, of, uh, you know, activity. Um, now the sun is coming out of its solar minimum, which is typically about an 11 year cycle. Um, and when it comes out of that, you know, we typically see more sunspots, um, ejections, that type of stuff, uh, which often then results in Aurora. And, uh, you reported Aurora last weekend when we recorded, um, and this week yep. we had some more Aurora and I, I heard reports of people in Saskatoon. So in our province, we have two major cities, uh, the city Chris and I live in, and then Saskatoon, which is a little bit North of us. Um, and, uh, Saskatoon's a little bit bigger. I think they're closer to 300,000 people. So, you know, it's your typical urban center, 
but people were reporting seeing the aurora inside of the city. Um, so that's pretty bright, you know, to overcome the light pollution of the city. Um, so that, that must have been yeah. a fairly intense I, I uh, light show. It. Okay. Yeah, I did see it um, here in the city. Just it wasn't spectacular or anything like it was the, the other night when I was out. Um, but I could see it. And then uh, actually I heard from Mike yesterday. He gave me a call um, and uh, he, was, he was saying that he had gone out uh, just outside the city and had a pretty good, uh, pretty good view of it, I think on a couple nights. So, yeah, I, I just, I, I imagine that we'll just see more and more of the Aurora, you know, over the coming days, weeks, months. Um, and this should carry on like mm-hmm. the, as it reaches solar maximum, this is, it will take place over the, you know, two or three years, I would imagine, uh, slowly increasing in activity. And then when it hits its apex, then it's kind of a slower decline into less activity to the point where there's almost no activity. And when I'm talking about activity on the sun, it's really about like um, storms essentially, or, or sunspots, um, you know, that type of stuff um, kind of wreaks havoc uh, on, on our atmosphere in terms of uh, the aurora and, and sometimes even worse and you know, it can disrupt communications and things like that, but, um, something to keep an eye on, uh, especially if you're an Aurora hunter or you've never seen the Aurora and want to, um, you know, we'll probably be getting into some, some opportunities there and you can, um, you can download apps that will, um, give you alerts when the Aurora is kicking up. Uh, there's also a website called heavensabove.com. They're pretty good at providing alerts, forecasts, that type of stuff. Um, the thing you want to look for is, is the KP index uh, for Aurora. Um, so the KP index, it's a scale. Ooh, I don't know if it's one through 10 or one through eight. Um, and it highlights the intensity uh, of uh, an Aurora outburst. Um, and often will provide a certain degree of forecasting for your area. So something to consider if you want to try to see it. Yeah, we should, we should do an episode. How long is the solar cycle? So where I'm from, we don't see the sun. So uh, I don't, I'm not as familiar with the solar observing and that, that really is almost no joke, um, but uh, beautiful place. But uh, sometimes uh, this, we, we can be wanting for the sun. Actually, I, I saw over, over Newfoundland, which isn't too, too far where I'm from. Uh, they've, they've had like 15 days of fog straight, but uh did you, uh, do you know how long, is it eight or 10 or 13 years? Isn't there like some sort of cycle and we're just kind of going into the, the heightened part of the cycle? It's 11, it's an 11 year cycle. Okay. Yeah. yeah I knew yeah. it was something like that. Yeah. 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 We should do a solar episode. We haven't yet. Um, I know, I think Phil uh, asked about it um, and I thought, uh, you know, this was over the winter time and I thought if we're going to do a solar observing uh, session or episode, I should say. Um, we should do it when it's a little warmer, when it's easier to observe the sun. So uh, I think one of our upcoming episodes yeah. will be about observing the sun and uh, all of the, the joy we'll and excitement. Yeah, yeah. June is the best month for that, for sure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get dark here in June. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah. You took that beautiful solar halo. That was a, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> That was just with my phone. Um, so that was Saturday morning. Uh, I was out with my yeah. solar telescope observing. And then this wispy, real high altitude cloud came in and created a pretty neat solar halo. So um, actually, my wife was out. We were having a coffee and, and we both enjoyed the view. Um, it probably was like that for the better part of a half an hour to 45 minutes. 
Um, I tweeted out the yeah. photo. So if anybody's interested, um, actually yeah. there's two photos. The first one was um, kind of a partial halo. And then the second one was like the, the full circle was there. So it's yeah. almost rainbowish, but it doesn't have all of the colors of the rainbow. Um, and it's this yeah. big circle uh, all the way, like a symmetrical circle all the way around the sun. But I'd say it's 10 to 15 degrees out from the sun. Like it, it, it occupies a huge part of the sky. Um, and it's, it's kind of a neat thing yeah, to I see. Think, I think technically, I think it's supposed to be like 22 and a half degrees plus or minus like a quarter of a degree or something like that. Oh, okay. I think that's, hmm. that's, that's what I read anyway. Like I said, um, I'm not that much of a, of a solar observer, but that was, that was a beautiful, beautiful photo. And uh, just as a reminder, never look at the sun. Um, that will damage your eyes. Um, so don't do that. Uh, it's the best way to do it is um, you're going to, you're going to notice it being so far away from the sun kind of as it's sort of moving in between buildings and that sort of thing. And then uh, you can always take a camera and, and uh, or a cell phone or something and point it at the sun. But uh, yeah, don't look at it with your eye uh, directly because you can damage it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, so I also had one nighttime session. Um, yeah. This was with the uh, 76 millimeter telescope. And I got to say, I am loving uh, my 41 millimeter panoptic in there lately. Um, you know, really the, the 76 millimeter was used with the Q extension. Um, so that puts the focal length out to 969 uh, millimeters. And I was using it with really narrow like eyepieces. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And I was using yep. like the super monos and orthos because I was doing a lot of planetary observing. So now that I'm not doing planetary observing, um, all of that's out the window. So the Q extender, I, I don't have that installed right now. Um, and I'm using the panoptic okay. and then my, my Leica zoom just for a little bit wider field, a little more eye relief and, uh, just a little more ease and simplicity. And, uh, gee, you know, just yeah. panning around the sky with, uh, with the wide field at the panoptic, uh, has been a lot of fun. Um, but I've been focusing on, uh, that RASC. So the Royal Canadian or Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, uh, they released that double star observing list. So I've just been working through yeah. each constellation. And, uh, this week I was observing all of the doubles in Coma Berenices, uh, had one in Virgo, um, and I got to say like that list is a ton of fun. It's, it's not a, a super challenging list. At least it hasn't been so yeah. far in terms of being able to split these uh, doubles as well as finding them. Um, but it's taking, yeah. taking you all over the sky into, you know, pretty much every constellation and showing yeah. some really uh, pretty doubles. And um, yeah, you know, I, I think last week I, I commented that I was seeing more star color and I wasn't sure if it was just the Takahashi or my observing, um, uh, you know, just being able to detect more as I get more experienced. Um, but I, I thought about one other variable here that might be contributing to me noticing more star color. Um, and that's the, uh, the diagonal that I'm now using. So uh, using this Takahashi oh, yeah. all along, I've been using a prism. Uh, an inch and a quarter Bader uh, T2 Zeiss prism. And it's been great. Mm -hmm. uh, but last year I bought uh, the two inch Bader BBSH or HS or whatever it is, uh, mirror diagonal. Yep. Um, but I really haven't used it. I bought that for dark sky observing, which we did none of last yep. year. So it really just sat on the desk. Um, now that I I'm really using, want one of these. <laughs> yeah, you should get one, I think. Um, uh, so. <laughs> So the, uh, 
I, I've been using it now because I'm using like the, the two inch pan optic and, and a little more wider field viewing. And uh, that might also be contributing to me just noticing a little more star color because, you know, if you yeah. read the reviews of this diagonal online, um, again, by Bill Paoloni, uh, you know, that's one of his comments as well is just noticing a, a more color popping. So um, that might yeah. be a factor. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, sort of going back to the RESC double star list. Um, you know, I, I think the, one of the main reasons, I think, I think that the reason why that list is, uh, so interesting and, and so good is it was, uh, the labor of love by, uh, by Blake uh, Nancaro. He was, he's on the observing committee and he started that like so long ago when I was chair of the observing committee here in Canada. And then, uh, and then he he carried on with it and just kind of just kind of picked away at it, you know, just like a labor of love. And anyway, it's really nice. Yeah, yeah, I highly recommend it. And again, it's any of our listeners can do this list. It's available for free on their website. Um, you do not need to be a member. Um, now you don't get the certificate at the end, I guess, without being a member. But to me, it's all about the observing, you know, and, and just seeing the objects as opposed to cashing in for the list. But uh, or sorry, the certificate. Um, so I, you know, I highly recommend people check it out. Um, yeah. so a couple other see. things. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I see you got a, a Misi prism. Yeah, it's on the way. Um, so, you know, you've, you purchased that uh, mini Borg for me, that 50 millimeter, and you have a yep. intention of setting it up as a finder to help you with the planets. And, yep. um, you know, that really got me thinking, uh, to do something similar, but slightly different purpose or, or motivating factor. Um, and, and that factor is so, and it really became apparent when I was trying to find doubles in coma Berenices, uh, on, I don't know what night that was Thursday or Friday night. Um, yeah, that area of the sky is, uh, like th there's not a lot of bright stars that, that can overcome the light pollution. So from my backyard, yeah. it's pretty dark. Um, so it makes star hopping, uh, for doubles, uh, even more challenging or time consuming because I have to start much further away at a brighter star. Um, and then using the panoptic wide field, I kind of make my way over to where, you know, my, my desired targets are. Um, but I yep. got thinking, you know, if I put that 50 millimeter Borg on the Takahashi with an Amici prism. Um, you know, that would give me the, the correct view of the sky yeah, and it would probably just make it a lot quicker and easier to find where I want to go in the city, you know, because the Borg will yeah. overcome the light pollution, um, yep. with, with my 24 millimeter pan optic, you know, I'm getting about a seven to eight degree field of view. So it's going to show me a lot of the sky and, um, uh, you know, I think it'll be a, a pretty good improvement. So I hope that that thing comes this week and then I can go down the same frustrating path you're going down of figuring out how to mount it properly, um, and, and get it functioning. Well, I, I can kind of give you some, yeah, I can tell you the, uh, you know, the, the, the main challenge is getting the right, um, stock bracket. So there's like a, like a stock uh, that has a bracket on it that you have to thread it through. And I, I can kind of walk you through that because I made a couple small mistakes when, when I was doing this as I detailed. But uh, uh, anyway, I mean, yeah, if you, are, if you are interested, I think I'm putting another order in from Agena um, today. So let me know because <laughs> I can get that for you without we can, we can split the shipping uh, proportionally if you want. I don't mind. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. 
So that's cool. Yeah. What's the uh, thing about the, you, you have Wolfenstock, Wolfenstock, but I think it's Wallensack. I think that that was the name of the company, Wallensack. They were, they tore the building down a few years ago. What did, did you buy an objective from them? Well, what do you know about them? What do you know about those objectives? Are, are they good? Are they not good? I think, in, I think in general, they're, they're, they're fine. I think they're decent. Um, from what I've heard, I've never looked through one. Um, it sort of has, has a reputation as kind of like a, like a larger but independent manufacturer. And then um, during, during their, their, their shutdown or, or liquidation process, um, they sent, uh, or, or I think it's uh, surplus optics or whatever it's called, surplus shed. Uh, yep. bought out bought out the remaining stock uh, of which I guess there was quite a bit and then there was kind of distributed around and then I remember there was there was people on like cloudy nights that were taking photos mm-hmm. of the factory and that as it was being uh, dismantled uh, unfortunately but you know I, I think they have a, a fairly decent reputation mm-hmm. um, so it's not it's definitely I don't think it's high-end stuff but I, I don't think it's uh, um, you know low quality either so I think it's like probably fairly decent mid-range what are you what are you looking at there Shane? Well, I've always been intrigued with a big aperture acromat um, for like, for dark sky observing. Oh yeah. Um, so yep. you know, like there's the uh, what is it? I star. I think they make some real large diameter yep. uh, objectives, like eight inch, nine inch, eleven inch. Um, and yeah, I've and, always uh, been super, super, super intrigued. And I think I think Tyson from Clyde Knights. I've read about, I think he's got the nine inch F seven, seven. And if I was, if I had a good permanent spot, um, that's what I, that's what I want. A nine inch achromatic refractor. I feel like that's, that's like a beautiful instrument in in my opinion. Yeah, totally. And, um, there's a, so woolen sack made a hundred and it's, I think a 153 millimeter or 150 millimeter objective. I think it's like F seven. Yeah. 153. Yeah. Yeah. So six inch refractor. Um, and from what I've read online, like a six inch refractor gives very comparable and some people believe uh, better views than an eight inch uh, Dobsonian. Uh, again, the Dobsonian has yep. that central obstruction. So it takes away some of its true light gathering power in terms of, you know, the eight inches of aperture. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm super intrigued. Uh, and, and there's a, a good deal. It? Well, no, I haven't yet, but, um, there's a guy that, uh, so he bought uh, a parallax OTA, put the woolen sack 153 in there has parallax rings, mm-hmm. has a moonlight focuser on it. Like it's, it's really well done, like with some really nice components. Um, and the price is, is really good too, in my huh. opinion, for something of that aperture. So I've been yeah. kind of hemming and hawing about it. Um, I don't think I would ever you know, I guess never say never, but I, I wouldn't use it that much in the, in the city, in my backyard. Um, yeah. you know, it, uh, it would be a, a pretty heavy OTA and it would require, you know, a commitment to set it up. It's not a grab and go or, or a quick, you know, a quick no. session type of telescope. But when, when you're making the effort to go to a dark sky, um, you know, that's kind of where you want some bigger aperture and it's it's intriguing me anyway I'm, I'm thinking about it so i just wanted to see if you yeah. know much about them because i i can't find a lot of like you know user reviews of a wall and sack uh objective to see you know what they think of it yeah and and you know like i i've looked through a few of the uh the six inch f8s um 
from from various suppliers. You know, it's a fairly fairly common uh, instrument, and uh, you know they're they are really neat. Um, like you say, they're kind of big and and a little bit awkward. I guess the the unfortunate part is is that sometimes it's difficult to understand what these instruments are like until until you live with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a five inch apocrymat, and you have hundred and twenty. So I'm not like just to be sort of frank. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how huge a difference you're gonna you're gonna see between them. But I mean, if it is a good deal and it's kind of set up properly, um, that could be a pretty interesting uh, instrument. I mean, you know, for sure. Like, I think that would be um, very interesting to to own and uh, and to and to use. Kind of like the unfortunate part about any of my experiences with them has been that typically. Uh, when people have had them set up, I, I think it's only been at like public observing. I've looked through them and I've looked through two or three of them mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that they, they're all good instruments, but of course they, they're pointing out of the planet or the moon or something, which isn't where those, uh, those six inch acromats are going to, are going to shine. They're going to shine on, on kind of like uh, deep sky. And, uh, and anyhow, I think they are, they are pretty, pretty interesting. And uh, you know, like you say, if you took a too, too dark site, the other thing, that's that's interesting with those instruments is whereas they're like uh are usually around like f8 or close to it um you know you're you're again looking at that longer focal length and and you and i have both noted that um sometimes you do get some pretty good uh images like using like uh 40 odd millimeter eyepieces uh through those instruments uh can can provide you a, a really great experience you know one of the things that i've often thought about and one of the people uh, who's talked a lot about this is is Mel Bartels, um, who's a telescope builder, and he's he's built a lot of really fast instruments. Uh, mostly, I think they're all uh, reflectors, and that is that he kind of has the same small set of eyepieces, and then he has all these telescopes. So he kind of operates, you know, a little bit reverse, where most people buy like a telescope or two, and then a whole slew of eyepieces. And he has like a like I mean, maybe he has a ton of eyepieces, but he only ever talks about using a small. Uh, subset of those and then he has like all these different telescopes that he uses and I always thought that that was a really interesting approach to astronomy so you're kind of like just like with a camera where you're changing the lens he, he's just changing the lens and then mm-hmm. using mostly like a like a 21 millimeter ethos ethos or uh, sometimes the 13 or the 10 or the 8 he's like three or four of them but primarily he's just changing the uh, the telescope and uh, mm-hmm. using that same set of uh, three or four eyepieces or whatever it is anyway yeah. so yeah, I, I've I've been hemming and hawing about this telescope for a while. Um, the, the, if it wasn't so big, uh, I would have bought this a long time ago. I think, um, but the bigness it makes it like if I don't like it, it's just going to be that much harder to sell. <laughs> you know, because you start to get into some real niche territory when you get into large refractors like mm. this because. They can be a bit of a beast to store and to haul around. And then on top of that, you really need a, like a pretty robust mount for something that large. You know, the, the focal length is 1200 millimeters yeah. and, and the weight of the OTA and everything is easily 20 plus pounds. I would think 30. Um, yeah. yeah. So you once know, you it's, load it's it up heavy. with rings and dovetail, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's going to, yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of weight there. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I've got my lumps and bruises from buying all sorts of, large gear that then ends up being really difficult to sell or, you know, takes a lot of care in terms of packaging. So, you know, this isn't a a try and then, you know, either keep it because you love it or try it and then sell it quickly because it, you know, didn't work out for you. This is probably a 
a try it and you're stuck with it for a while sort of telescope. Yeah. Well, I, I think you should get it. Um, well, you always think I should spend money. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is no, no secret. This is why Shane and I are friends. Uh, <laughs> I get to try, I get to try so many interesting things. No, but seriously, I, I think that'd be, that would be an interesting scope as long, as long as the price is right. I think, you know, I mean, it, it just, it's interesting, right? Like some of the stuff yep. is just interesting to try. So yeah, cool. And I see, did you sign up for an AVSO membership? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I signed up. Um, we, we got a, a response from uh, Dr. Stella Kafka after the episode um, aired Good. on Thursday and she mentioned uh, or asked or, or stated that we haven't signed up yet. So I thought, oh yeah. yeah I better, <laughs> I so I did that. Um, yeah. And it's pretty neat. Like I was, I, I honestly haven't spent a lot of time on the website yet on uh, aavso.org, but um, I did spend a little and they have a, a 66 page document. It's kind of a guide, I suppose, yeah. uh, for visual observations of, I put double stars in the notes, but you know, that's what happens at five in the morning. Um, uh, variable stars, not double stars. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my plan this week is just to, cause I, I think we have crappy weather, uh, this week, at least for the yep. first half of it. So I'll do a little bit of reading on variable stars, but, um, 100%, I want to add this to my observing, uh, uh yeah. program from the backyard. You know, yeah. I love the double stars. So why not add some variables to that? Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, sign up yet. I, I, I think I'm gonna, um, because I do, uh, go out and make the odd variable star observation. I'm just doing it for my, for my own sort of purposes. And sometimes, you know, and, and I, I know there's a lot of other observers out there like, like this as well. Um, we, I guess maybe what it comes down to is we are just absolutely observing for the love of it, right? Like I, I'd love to do it. Um, I'm not observing that many variable stars. I think I, I do six and I'm not recording it or anything. I'm just kind of going out. And then like, I've often gone on to the AVSO site and, and look them up to say, okay, well, like how close was I to, you know, the other people that are observing this and, and the whole bit, but, but probably what I, what I should be doing is just recording those um, because I'm doing everything else for those six or uh, so stars that, that I've been, been watching now for, uh, for, for a couple decades or more. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I think, I, I think I'm going to sign up as well. Another, another organization I've, I've wanted to sign up for this, for this one for a long time. And I think I am, uh, in May is, uh, is the web society. I've, I've mm-hmm. been intrigued by, by the web society. I'm working on a project, um, from, from Webb's works, uh, Thomas Webb being an astronomer from the 1800s. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of, I think I might join a couple of these other organizations just, just for fun. Yeah. The Webb society has a lot of great resources too. Again, you know, to, to extend your observing, um, some of it is, you know, big aperture stuff, but not all of it. And, uh, it's a, it's an interesting group. I've considered membership there as well. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you, you join the, AVSO. And I think Stella said that I can, I can get a, a code, an observer code, and I'm, I'm definitely doing that. Um, as soon as I get some time here, I'm going to have some free time in a couple of weeks and then, uh, and then probably, uh, uh, get a membership and then get a membership to the, to the web society, uh, as well. I know a few people in the web society and, you know, I should just join because it comes down to the fact that I'm like, 
hey, can you send me like this information because I'm not a member? And it's like, well, how, how often do you do that before you're like, well, I should just be a member of the organization if I'm using their, their uh, resources, right? So I've kind of kind of had some need for for that recently, especially with uh, the project I'm working on. So yeah, it's kind of one of those things. And then like the same with the AVSO where I'm, I'm kind of going on to their website. Like I remember, like Stella was talking about Betel Goose um, and I've been on to their website last year and making some estimates of Betel Goose and, uh, you know, not a member, right? I'm like, well, I am kind of using the resources. And if I'm ever wondering about a Nova or something, I'm on their webpage and it's kind of like, well, you know, if I was just like very casually doing this, not, not on there, like every uh, two or three months, then um, that would be one thing. But yeah, like, I mean, these, these are charitable organizations. They're not, they're not making money, but at the same time, they do need to kind of float the boat, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's great when people uh, are able to support them. And certainly I, I should be able to do that. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, good stuff. So I really didn't get any observing in. We had, um, the, the, there was two really clear nights on, um, on the Friday night, on this past Friday night. I couldn't observe. I just, uh, there was... I had some stuff going on. I just couldn't do it. And then um, on the Thursday night, um, we're in like a pretty tight, uh, not a lockdown here, they call it. They call it a, a slowdown or something like that. But uh, anyway, we're really not supposed to be out and milling around too much. And of course, like the people on either side of me, like have people over and they're like having a beer in their driveway for like a while. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to go and observe my driveway because that's kind of where I would have to set up if, uh, if I was going to observe the stuff I wanted, I wanted to observe. And, uh, and we've uh, certainly got, uh, uh, a, we have a lot of COVID on the go, um, and B our hospital is full. So, you know, uh, don't want to either a get COVID cause that would be bad personally. And, and then of course, uh, uh maybe not even necessarily secondarily, you don't want to impact the, uh, already overtaxed health system. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, but I did uh, make some progress. Like I'm trying to get myself organized. Um, I was chatting to Mike about this. Um, and that is uh, kind of getting my, my stuff finally, like sort of finalized what I, what I need for, for working on my projects. And, uh, you know, I, I have that, uh, the, the TAC 100 millimeter I got last year. And I have, I have a couple different ways I can mount that up. But uh, last year, the priority was having it mounted up properly for planets and especially Mars. So I did. I fi- I, it took me a while to kind of get it uh, organized, but I did get it mounted for Mars. Um, it's not really like a portable setup. I mean, it's not portable at all when I set it up that way. It's, it's rock solid, <laughs> but it's not going anywhere. And uh, that's really not um, the best if now we're going to have, uh, you know, a really, hopefully a really good uh, deep sky season here. And uh, so I needed to have uh, better portability. So I bought a Burlaback Report 212. And so that arrived. Did I send you a photo of that? I should send you a photo of it. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, set up yeah. in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, a wood tripod and they're very nice. They're German and uh, they come with a, a variety of. Uh, I guess, different customizable features. I, I got the one with just the regular, I think it's like a one quarter 20 um, bolt on the top. Anyway, it's just the standard tripod bolt mm-hmm. um, because most of my mounts for my, my little scopes just take a, take a regular tripod um, bolt on them. But it's really nice. Like there's, they, these Burlabacks are so nice. So Burlaback is a company, they've been making tripods since the late 1800s. 
um, I think like 1898 or something like that. And uh, back maybe it wasn't that that long ago, maybe uh, in the in the earlier mid 2000s, they came to realize that all these amateur astronomers were buying their tripods and then kind of doing these modifications and trying to get them to work for astronomy. And uh, they picked up on this and then they started making astronomical versions and uh, and they're they're quite nice. So this one is is one of their smaller ones. They have like three, I think three different categories. They have the report, they have the uni or university level, and then they have the uh, the planet level, which I think is what you're looking at. And no, well, the, no, I'm looking at the uni. The planet is too much. Like it, well, yeah, okay. it's too too much tripod. It's huge. It's oh, heavy. Yeah. Like you you really like if you have a huge telescope or you're really into imaging, that's the tripod for you. But it's okay, more tripod than I would ever need. Yeah, and the the big difference is just just like the weight. They're all kind mm-hmm. of priced, not not too differently, but uh, they they have they're nice because they this one that I got the report two one two. It's not that high, but it. It actually is at the exact same height when it's fully extended, uh, about 45 inches, as a couple of my other tripods that I that are that's what where I use them at, and uh, I'm going to put an extension on it. And then I uh, I bought a, a Burlaback chair back some months ago, and uh, it looks really really nice together. So Rebecca says it's the only it's the only setup I can uh, I can leave up up in the living room. So. <laughs> well, it is kind of like astronomy furniture. Like the Burlabac stuff is is well done. Uh, you know, they use a nice wood with wood grain. You can get them in a few different colors too, like a different finish. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a, a lighter. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, and I, I think you almost have to go direct to Burlabac to get yeah. some of the, the customized uh, finishes. But um, yeah, they're really nice looking. Yeah, I like them because with my with my sort of photographic tripods, um, they don't have a tray. And that always is just such a annoyance when, when you're doing a lot of astronomy. If you're not doing that much, it's not a big deal. But when, when you're out like two or three, three nights a week, um, you, need, you need a spot to stick your eyepieces. That, that's just like the way it, way it boils down. And then the other thing that I like about these is, is they're, they're made for uh, using for astronomy. So when you put like your mount head on them, like your mount, um, it's, it's got a really large, um, platform or whatever. I don't know what it's called, but, but like where it attaches to the tripod, it's, you know, it's like softball size instead of Coke, you know, pop can size. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so it, it fully covers the bottom of your mount. So there's no like weird kind of imbalance. And then the other thing is, is that, it's got these, uh, it has a spring loaded, um, what do you call it? It has a spring loaded uh, threaded bolt. And so when you put it on, if, if you're not right on it, it's not going to like sort of impact your mount. And then it, it's always really futzy on mounts where, where it's not like that, that to kind of get it lined up or whatever. And so the, the few times that I put my mount on it so far, it almost seems like it's self-centering. I don't know how they mm-hmm. do that, but uh, it's pretty cool. And then the other thing you can do with them is you can actually change the heads out you can put um, columns in them. Like, you know, if you decide you want it like a slightly different setup in the future, you can change it all out. Um, so that's pretty cool. But this one, the 212 is, uh, it seems to be the, the lightweight portable tripod of choice for the, for the TAC 100. Um, like if you go on to Cloudy Nights or Stargazers Lounge or one of these other places um, and you start asking amateurs, I, I didn't, I just go and read what people are using. 
And it seemed like the overwhelming majority of people that observe a lot and are, and are happy with, with, uh, with the tripod they chose are, are using that. And I can see that now because, man, that tripod is pretty light. It weighs about six pounds. The tray weighs about two pounds. And then, uh, so a six pound tripod is, is pretty portable. It's actually halfway in between my two um, photographic tripods that I had been using as my, as my portable uh, tripods, um, but it's got about twice the weight carrying capacity. So, you know, it kind of replaces both of them. And then my small one, as soon as I got this in the house, I reached over my small one. I'm like, huh, this part looks like it's kind of getting flaky. And I touched it and it fell apart. <laughs> like that's no word of a lie. So like my small one now is, is actually quite broken. <laughs> Literally <laughs> well, it was on its last legs. I think I was yeah, like, oh, that's yeah. weird. That's good. You have the new one, I suppose. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing how it performs, especially under high magnifications. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. So yeah, I'm pretty, pretty excited for it. The other, the other thing that I, that I received sort of that, and the Burlabacks are somewhat expensive, um, you know, everything being relative, but uh, considering I had two, maybe three tripods, this one kind of replaces two of those tripods. Um, and, and I need to replace them anyway, because the tripods that I had were, were old photographic tripods that I bought used when I was kind of dabbling with smaller scopes years ago. And then, um, you know, it's kind of the, the past 15 or 20 years have ticked by, you know, they, they just progressively become more banged up and they're both missing now critical parts and like the plastic from, you know, days and nights of observing and bouncing around in cars over, you know, the better part of two decades, uh, definitely takes its toll. And, uh, you know, it's just time to, time to upgrade and replace, um, you know, that those anyway. So, you know, when I think about it, it's not, it's not a bad deal. All right. And then I got on the other end of the spectrum, I, I got a really inexpensive um, sort of Amazon slash newer branded um, case for my TAC uh, 60, my little 60 millimeter. So I didn't have a, have a case or anything for my TAC 60. And I noticed just as it was sitting up while I was using some other scopes for a while, um, it, it was collecting a bit of dust and I'm like, I really should have some sort of case for this, but it's a tiny little telescope. I don't need anything fancy. And I've been eyeing this, this newer N-E-E-W-E-R case for a while, about 45 bucks Canadian, be about 30 bucks American. I bought one of their other cases, um, which was a, was like their very basic case for putting some odds and ends in just actually for, for taking my, uh, AZ GTI mount around. And so I can throw the mount in and a few other things. Um, Cause I didn't want that, that mount getting damaged like in the car, but didn't need like a super reinforced case for it or anything. Just wanted to keep everything together. And that case, that case is okay. Um, it's good for what I'm using it for, but I kind of had hoped to stick some eyepieces in it too, but the layout wasn't going to work as well as I'd hoped. So I thought that, well, that was okay. I'll, I'll get this other one. And so I bought it in a slightly different color, got it in red. And uh, when it arrived, I was surprised. Um, I thought the quality was actually a little bit better. I think it's like their, their next level up or something. Hmm. So um, like the exterior quality is a little bit better. It seems like it's maybe uh, a little bit waterproof and, and dust proof, the zippers. Um, and then like internally, like the whole feel of it was just, uh, just like that next step up. I was actually surprised how good it is. The only small sort of quibble with it was the... Uh, like it's supposed to be more like backpack shaped mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't really have good form. Like it's kind of a bit 
squished or something in a way, um, which isn't a really big deal. And it fits all the stuff. I wanted to be able to put the telescope and, and diagonal and a few eyepieces and some filters and all that stuff. And it all fits in there perfectly. I think I sent you a photo of it and you're welcome to, uh, to post that up. Okay. Yeah. I'll send that out. It looks like a really good fit. Like it's almost made for that telescope and, and accessories. Yeah. Yeah. So next up is uh, I'm going to get some lightweight dovetail rails. Actually, that was going to be the next thing I was going to get, but instead I'm, I'm getting some filters um, because the, the filter prices are, are going up and I really want to get my, because uh, I have that Lumicon multiple filter selector diagonal that I received kind of uh, uh, in, in error from that telescope store that was going into business last year. And uh, I want to be able to use filters in it. I had thought about upgrading my filters for a long time now. So I think it's just time. So I'm prioritizing that. I'm going to get the new filters and then uh, probably get, get new dovetails uh, and a couple other board parts over the summer, just, just as they become available. But, but yeah, I'm kind of to the point where I don't want to be buying too much more. I think kind of the filters are pretty minimal. Um, and I, I just don't like buying gear when I'm, when I'm right down to deep sky observing mode because uh, then I'm I, I messing around too much in the field. Like right now, it's fine. We're still having evenings that are pretty cold when it's clear. Like I think it was minus seven when I was out one morning. So, you know, that's fairly chilly still. So you're just doing some shorter sessions. So to, to have some new gear-ish and, and to be testing that out is, is fine still. But once we get into May, um, I kind of want to be settled down into my gear and how it works and, and just kind of be observing because, uh, you know, I, it's kind of fun to buy some gear, but uh, I'm actually less into the gear than, than I am into the actual observing of, of the night sky. Yeah, for sure. The gear is, uh, you know, it's an enabler, but really the, the reason we do all of this is to, to look through the gear, not at the gear. And uh, yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And when we get out of the nighttime sky, it's, you know, like the, the gear that is good um, is really fun. But at the same time, like, you know, like I think, oh, I really want to get image stabilized binoculars. And I actually want them more now than I ever did because um, we haven't been able to get together, me, you and Mike, to observe as much. And and that's kind of what's driving that. But uh, but probably once uh, once we get a, you know, a couple more months under our belts, we're probably able to get together and start observing again. And then you guys won't, won't be as reluctant to hand me over, over your image stabilized binoculars. And, uh, you know, I do enjoy observing with those, but, but it does seem a bit, I don't know. It seems a bit much when, when everybody has a pair, you know what I mean? Like, is that really necessary? Do, does everybody need to buy a pair when we're observing together? And anyway, sometimes it just seems a little bit, uh, like a little bit much, like too much overconsumption almost, uh, when it comes to some things, but like when it comes to filters, like I don't think any of you guys have the two inch filters. So I'm like, well, if I get these as well, then we can kind of, you know, trade them around. And I'm actually going to have a lot of filters at that point because I already have a full set of two inch filters, but uh, now I'm going to have another set that will fit this, uh, this monstrosity. So mm -hmm. lots mm -hmm. of filters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I do have, uh, I think I have, well, I have a O3 and a UHC uh, two inch yeah. filter. One's a Lumicon and then one is the uh, Teleview Nebustar. Yep. Um, yeah. 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 Um, hopefully get to use them soon under a dark sky. Yeah. I have the, I have a Orion O3, Orion H beta. I have the beta UHC dash S I have a UH, uh, beta IR cut and I have a Burgess broadband filter and I have another nebula filter that, that escapes me. 
Uh, did I say H beta? I've got the H beta. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've got all those. The only one a quarter inch one I have is the is the Burgess. I got it for free. So um, anyway, I think I, I got it with that eyepiece I sold you. I no longer have the eyepiece, but I found that filter. So anyway, we must be getting close to time there. Uh, yeah, 52 minutes. There we go. Well, we've got some Patreons to thank. We do. Uh, thank you very much to JR for uh, becoming a new Patreon and supporter of the podcast. We really, really appreciate that. Um, you know, our goal here is, uh, you know, to put out a Patreon as an option for anybody that is uh, interested in supporting the podcast financially. Um, and what we use it for is to um, really just cover our costs with the podcast. They're not yeah. very substantial, but uh, they are there. And, um, you know, we, um, we, we put it towards the, the hosting for the actual podcast episodes and then uh, yeah. the website for now. Uh, you know, we always talk about, um, uh, just other, uh, what is it? Other alternatives or options to, you know, provide more, I don't know if you want to call them services, but just more value to, uh, to people and, and maybe more resources. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I think there's, there's uh, free options for everything, but to tie it all together, it, it ends up being pretty, uh, it's going to impact the quality. So we've, we've gone with uh, actual uh, pay for hosting services, sort of like kind of like uh, low to middle of the road packages. Um, you know, that, that way we're able to kind of produce these and get them out um, in a pretty quick order. And that was one of our challenges when, when we were first doing this is, is we try to do it with a zero budget and uh, it doesn't work as well. So I think that this is a good solution. So we definitely uh, appreciate everybody's uh, support uh, with this. So is there something to be said for the YouTube? Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I, I put that on last week and I forgot about it and then I forgot about it again now. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so the YouTube, we started out posting, uh, it's just audio. Like we don't have any uh, supporting video really, but we would post every uh, episode uh, to the YouTube channel, actual astronomy podcast. Um, but at around episode 50 ish that fell off just because of, uh, there was a lot of effort actually uh, to editing and getting it up there. Yeah. Um, and it's just so, sound. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, our podcast host um, has a feature where it pushes um, one of our episodes every week to YouTube. So if there are any YouTube listeners out there um, and you're kind of wondering why it goes from like, say, episode 109 to episode 111, that's why uh, it only pushes the one episode every seven days. Um, and, uh, and that's just the way it is. So if you want to hear the episodes in between, uh, that aren't posted to YouTube, uh, you'll have to hit one of the, uh, podcast providers like Apple or, you know, uh, Google play or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think sometime maybe the next year, cause there is a different package we can buy. <laughs> and so I think kind of once we get uh, a handful more Patreons, maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll buy that, that extra package. So I think it's like, I think you said it's like 20 or 20, I don't know, maybe it's $20 a month American. So, cause we're in Canada, there's, there's a difference like $20 American is probably going to end up running close to 26 or 27 bucks Canadian. So, but anyway, kind of once we get to that, that next level, maybe we'll, uh, we'll add that package on for, for those people on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Great. Anything, anything else to add Shane? No, that's everything. Thanks, Chris. All right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, 
yeah, I'm going to say it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>